0: Well, hello, everybody. Sure, good to see you guys. sounded great while we were singing. I, like every weekend, I just think I love my church, the one I get to go to, and I'm just so proud of a room full of people that are saying, "Hey, we believe that God's important to us, and we're prioritizing Him." So, uh, I think if I'm proud, I can't imagine how God feels. So, thanks for being here. So, we're in the series where we're looking at some phrases um, that sometimes we attribute to God and it's not quite what he said. And I think if we adopt these phrases, we have a bit of a skewed theology or perspective on who God is. For instance, um, God helps those who help themselves. It's actually not in the Bible. There's some fundamental truths to that that we're called to be responsible, but I am very grateful that God helps those who cannot help themselves, aren't you? You ever been in a place where like, I, I can't do anything and God still helps us? Uh, next week, we're going to look at this the phrase. I hear this all the time. Uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Oh, I wish that one were true. I wish that it, like he knew when I was over my limit and I just tapped out and he's like, okay, I'll stop. But this book is filled with stories about people who have more than they can handle happening all the time and what God does when you're facing more than you can handle. So this week, though, I'd like us to look at a phrase I've heard quite a bit. In fact, just because I'm listening for them now, I think I had three different people use this phrase uh, in conversations the last three weeks. And the phrase is this, everything happens for a reason everything happens for a reason and think of how we use that phrase we use that phrase sometimes uh something good happens oh well everything happens for a reason or something bad happens well everything happens for a reason and you're like what's the reason because it doesn't seem I remember the first time I remember somebody using this phrase and I felt confused by it so uh my nose has been through just a bit of trauma. In fact, one time I was taking one of my kids into the doctor. They uh, had a checkup, and I walk in with my son, and the doctor looks at me, and he goes, ooh, that nose has seen some trauma. I'm like, seriously, I've never met you before. That's the first thing you notice when I walk in with my sick kid? So it all started in fifth grade when I got punched by a girl named Holly Cockkeep. I don't remember my fifth grade teacher, but I remember Holly Cockkeep because she had a mean right. And she took my nose and pointed it to the left. Um, and I mean, guys, you know, it's not good for your psyche um, or your place in the school hierarchy of toughness when on the playground you have your nose busted by a girl. And so it started not just nose trauma, but all types of interior trauma as well. Uh, so my nose is always pointing to the left. Well, then um, I was a catcher in baseball. And I was at a function, and they were warming up for a fast-pitch softball game. And I thought, well, how bad can this be? I mean, the guy who was pitching, I was like 17. He was ancient. He was like 40 years old. I was thinking, how hard can he throw it? It's called softball, right? Can't be that bad. So I'm warming up this guy um, without a mask. And ball, it, it came slightly faster than I was anticipating. They call it Fast pitch for a reason. I don't know why they call it softball though. Have you noticed? There's just it's just they should call it big ball, hard ball, hard big ball. And so it comes off, and I see my miss not going to catch it. It comes off the end. I turn my nose this way, and my nose that had been pointing to the left now is pointing dramatically to the right. And you know you've got weeks of black eyes and oh, And, and so like now I've got from from left to right, and then. I'm in wrestling practice and we're getting ready for a big tournament, district tournament, and my coach has me wrestling with our heavyweight. Now, today, I could wrestle as heavyweight. Back then, I wasn't a heavyweight. And so I've got this guy on my shoulder, I'm doing a move, and I just slip, my body fails, I come down and with him on top of me, I smash my nose directly into my knee, and it's a mess, and I'm just, oh! And the minute I take my hands away from my face, my coach goes, straightened out your nose. And he says, everything happens for a reason. And I'm like, oh, there's got to be a better way. Like at 18, I'm like, I don't know about that philosophy because this, this isn't good right now. Everything happens for a reason. So in some ways, we say, oh, yeah, yeah. But I think that phrase is a little bit trite when we're dealing with the big issues of life. When we're dealing with a diagnosis from the doctor of a disease that we never, we never thought we'd face. How does it feel when you say, well, sorry you've got cancer, but everything happens for a reason. Or when my friend's child is born with a genetic abnormality that uh, they don't know what to do. There's no solution. It's just happened. And the reasons, well, why? Why? Well, everything happens for a reason, really, doesn't it? You know, there, there's a, a very old argument against God. It's an argument that people who would promote atheism or the fact that there is not a God, they still would use this today It's one of the fundamental arguments. And it has to do with why bad things happen to good people. Here's what would be said. They say, well, the Bible teaches that God is both good and all-powerful. Good and all-powerful. And people have observed the world for a long time and said, well, there must not be a God because if he was actually all good, If he was all good, if this God of the Bible is actually good, then he must not have any power. Because if he's a good God, why is there war and famine and genocide and death and oppression and abuse? Why do human beings mistreat each other? So if he's really good, then he must not have power. Because if he had power, a good God would step in and stop all of this. I understand that argument. Then you say, okay, maybe he is all-powerful. Maybe he could end the human plight. He could end the pain. He could end the way that we mistreat each other. So maybe he is all-powerful, but that means he's obviously not good because he never exerts his power to make life better, to take away the pain, to end the wars, to feed the starving. So a lot of people walk away from that tension that God must not exist Because how could good things happen? How could bad things happen to good people? How could an all-powerful God not exert his power? It's, It's a tension that I fully understand. But is there perhaps another way of understanding that? Is that a bit limited? And I think there's a passage in Scripture, which I wonder if this phrase didn't originate from. Everything happens for a reason. But the way the writer of the book of Romans puts it, it's very different. And it helps me to understand the challenges and the difficulty in life. This is from the book of Romans, chapter 8. We'll start at verse 28 and we'll read through verse 30. This is written to people. It's the early church. They live in Rome, the seat of the Roman Empire. And they are a little bit confused by what's happening because they're trying to live their lives right. They're trying to serve God and bad things are happening all around them and there's evil in the world and, and lives are lost and people are persecuted and, and their families sometimes contract sicknesses and diseases and they're confused. And this is, this is what the writer of Romans says. It's just, it's just absolutely beautiful. Let's read together Romans chapter eight see if we can't find a bit of what God's perspective on all this actually is. And we know, Interesting thing about this word, no. It's not a word for fact that you can find in a dictionary or encyclopedia. It's a word, and we've learned. It's knowledge from experience. So, And we know that for those who love God, all things, notice this, not some things, not most things, but when you love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Notice, it does not say that all things that happen are God's design. It does not say that everything that happens in your life is good. This says, no, no, for we know that all things work together towards the good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, meaning he saw this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. They have a destiny. The destiny is not random. It didn't surprise God. God sees where life is going, where your life is going, where my life is going, where human history is going. He also predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8, 28 through 30. So, does everything happen for a reason, or is there a bigger picture than that? We're going to use an illustration. And uh, my hope is that this is helpful to you. On the far left here, you got to put yourself, okay? This is you. This is me. This is our life. And then we'll put in this triangle, we'll call this kind of the accumulation, the timeline of our lives. Now, in the midst of your life, there are some positive things that happen. We'll, we'll show everything positive with a circle, okay? And there are some negative things that happen. Those would be a square. So we've got a lot of stories in this room. I mean, we just listened to Ingrid. Oh, what beautiful story. Ingrid say, well, you know, from my earliest childhood, it was almost as if one negative thing was stacked upon another. Time after time, from home to home, death, loss, pain, instability, abuse, neglect. It's all there. This would look like some of our lives. You it's, it, it's just been one after another after another with maybe something beautiful. Now, there are other people in the room with a different story. You say, I don't know why, I don't know how, but... I was raised in a fairly stable home. I was told I was loved. I was told I was supported. I was given strength. And yeah, something bad happened here. But for the most part, what's happened in my life has just been these beautiful things. So if everything just happens for a reason, how do I explain these? I mean, it's one thing to say I was bantered around, but it's another to say, I'm the victim of a crime where someone exerted their will against me and I was violated, I was taken advantage of, I was abused, neglected, whatever it might be. What reason does that have? Here's what I think we need to understand. It's the whole issue of free will. This is highly debated in theology. I understand that. But from this passage, from the greater narrative or story of the Bible, I believe there's this reality that's happening. It helps me to explain all of the challenges in life. It's free will. Here's where it comes from first. Some of the bad things that happen to me in my life come about because I have free will and I sometimes make self-destructive choices. Has anyone in the room... Ever made a self-destructive choice, Everybody? and then you repeated it six months later. You're like, "What am I doing? This, this is addictive behavior. This is this is what tears people apart, families apart." Right? We don't know why. We pursuing hope, pursuing beauty, pursuing a feeling we make a decision that's self-destructive. So some of the bad things in life that happened to me are because God gave me free will. And that is frustrating. But here's here's the story. The first three chapters of Genesis, God creates a harmonious world. The harmony extends in these directions. There is harmony between human beings. Adam and Eve are not fighting, are not bickering, are not hurting each other. They are living in harmony. There's harmony between human beings and God. That's how he designed it. He designed for there to be relationship and peace and communication between us and God. And then there's harmony with the created world. The original creation was absent of viruses and bacteria and genetic malfunctions. It was a harmonious world, but it all changed. And so now when bad things happen, sometimes it's because of my own self-destruction. We had free will, Adam and Eve, God created because he really wanted people to have a relationship with him, not automatons. The only way that love can exist is when there's free will. It's the only way. So God said to Adam and Eve, I want you to love me, but you're free not to. That's the only way there can be true relationship, and Adam and Eve chose another way. They chose to not love God. They chose to be their own gods. And so because of that free will, we continue to make the same self-destructive choices that Adam and Eve made, and it leads to challenges in our lives. So first of all, it's my own self-destructive tendencies. Secondly, it's because other people have free will, and sometimes they do things that violate me. People can exert their will against us. People can hurt us. People can neglect us, can mistreat us. You can do that to other people. Part of what's wrong in this world, part of why we have pain, is because somebody decided that they were more important than you, and they made a choice. They exerted their will, and it led to pain and injury in your life. We know what that's like we've done that. We've been the recipient of it. And the third issue with free will is this, is that not only did we lose this harmony with God and with human beings, but we lost harmony with creation. It's gone. From mosquitoes to cancer. None of these things were a part of God's original creation. And And now because creation is lacking harmony, the world is broken. We have diseases and we have genetic disorders that were never a part of God's original intention, but they happen. And so when the bad things happen in life, here's typically why I see the Bible says, we all ask why, why is this happening? It's because of my own choices. It's because of the free will of others. It's because I live in a broken world. Now here's the great news. God's destiny is to heal this broken world. If you turn to the very end of the Bible, he promises to restore harmony between us and God, between human beings, and between human beings and the creation. We're told that he will one day wipe away every tear from everybody's eye. There will be no more crying. There will be no sickness. There will be no more pain. He actually uses this phrase, behold, I make all things new. So one day it will end. But until then, we are here. So what do I do about the bad things? Is it appropriate for me to look at somebody who's going through a tragedy and go, well, everything happens for a reason? What reason? What's the purpose? So in order to understand this, this is the challenge of free will. Secondly, we need to look at two very, very important thoughts. I already wrote these up on the board. This is what the writer of Romans says. He says, the only way that you can understand this is any purpose in life. He says there's two qualifiers, two things that you need to know. Number one, love God. Number two, you're called according to his purposes. What do those two things mean? Well, he says, I got to tell you, all things work together towards or for the good for, not for everybody. I wish it was for everybody. But he says, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, things make sense, life makes sense. So why love God? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you one of the hardest things to do When you have been through something deeply painful and traumatizing, whether it was your decision or somebody else's free will or the fact that we live in this broken world, what's the first thing that I ask when something bad happens to me? God, do you really love me? Do you exist? Do you even care? Why is this happening to me? It is a natural human response. And if you feel that way, there's nothing wrong with expressing that. The book of Psalms written by David David's this warrior and this poet. He's a king, one of the most phenomenal leaders our planet has ever seen. But if you read the Psalms he writes, most of his Psalms are saying, why, God? I've tried to serve you, and yet the wicked prosper. I've tried to serve you, and yet I live in a cave. I'm scared for my life. Why are these bad things happening? It's not bad to ask why. But here's what he does at the end of almost every psalm. He'll have a phrase like this. He'll say, and yet I will praise you. And yet I will serve you. Even though I'm confused. Even though I'm perplexed. Even though I wonder about your nature and I have questions for you. In the end, I choose to love you. To love a God I don't completely understand. In the end, I love you. So when difficult things happen, it will either push me away from God, and I will become hardened, and I will become bitter, or I say, in the midst of this, the things I don't understand, I still love you, God. I don't always understand you, but I love you. All things work together for the good, for those who love God, and secondly, are called according to his purposes. Now, what does that mean? You could probably phrase that, those who are submitted to his agenda. Submitted to his agenda. So in order for all things to work together to the good, I got to love him. And then secondly, I have to take my agenda for life, what I want, what I think my rights are. And I have to say, not only do I love you, God, it's not just believe in you, not just believe that you exist. I actually love you and I submit My agenda, I will be called according to your purpose. You have a purpose in life that's bigger than me. I'll make up my own purpose in life. And I'll always be at the center of it. And I'll always be the recipient of everything good. But I take my agenda for life and I say, no, I will be called according to your purposes, not my purposes. I submit to your agenda. And this is what we read. We read for the people that can do this. And is this easy? No. Please shake your head no. Does this happen naturally all the time? Oh, once again, I was the victim of crime. Well, that's okay, because I love God, and I'm called according to his purposes. No, you're going to grieve. You're going to be in pain. But somehow, if I can maintain these two things, what's the promise? Where do we move with this? He says, if that's the case in my life, then I will know a god who is the grand orchestrator of life. There's a god who when bad things happen we wonder is he here is he absent has he abandoned us does he even involve himself. This is what the this is what the author says. says this god still is taking life's events And if we can stay lovers of God and submitted to his will, he is orchestrating, he is pushing, he is moving these things towards something good. He did not cause these things to happen. He did not want these things to happen. He didn't want our world to be broken. He didn't want us to rebel against him, but he has not abandoned us. And when my posture, my alignment is to love God and be submitted to him, suddenly he's moving everything towards a good, different outcome. For 14 years, I got to work at a church in Eugene, Oregon as a college pastor. And right next to my office, so I'd sit here, there's a thin wall. On my left was a man named Andy Gilbert, who's a phenomenal musician, guitarist, played bluegrass, jazz, you name it. But he had always wanted to play in the symphony. And they didn't need his guitar skills. So he found out that the one thing they were missing was a bass bassoonist. Has anybody ever seen a bass bassoon? It's like a tube. It looks like a clarinet on steroids with a little tube that comes out and a reed. And it, is the, it just rumbles. It's just like, bleh, bleh, And so he decides that in the mornings, he's going to practice for an hour and a day so that he can enter into the symphony. And I got to the point when I could hear the latches open up that I was like, oh, no. It's time to take an hour-long walk. i got to go outside. Because he'd get on that, and it was squeaky, kind of like an oboe, but in this. And he would play, and he would play. And I was convinced that is the dumbest, worst-sounding instrument of all time. There's no way they're ever going to let you in. But because he's a great musician, he kept at it. So we go to his first performance. There's only one chair for the bass bassoonist. It's not first, second, and third. There's only one human being on the planet that plays this instrument, apparently. But in the middle of the concert, it all made sense. All those horrific sounds he had been making, rattling my walls. There was a purpose in the bigger picture as the conductor urged them on. I think it's the exact same thing. Some of these things that happened in my life, I don't understand why. But in the midst Of God's hands, the orchestrator of life, he is moving them towards something good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So here's a little bit about his purpose. What is it? So his ultimate purpose for my life. What is it? The author gives us a few very clear things. He says, before the beginning of time, before you started your life, from the time that everything fell apart, God had a destiny and he's moving us towards this. He uses three phrases. One, he says, part of your destiny, what God's working towards the good is for you to be destined to be conformed into his image. Into his image, the image of his son to be transformed. So the reality is there are a whole bunch of things inside this guy that are broken. Sometimes I run on instinct and selfishness. But what God is doing is he's taking these disparate, different experiences, the positive and negatives in my life, and when I can love him, when I'm submitted to his purposes in life, he's moving me towards transformation. I'm not the same person. I had an experience yesterday, uh, helping to coach uh, my youngest son's football team, sixth, seventh, eighth graders, and there was a dad after the game who you could say was a bit angry. Okay? I mean, like, really, really angry. We're on the field afterwards, and it's been a long time since this happened. But he is up, and he starts doing this, thumping his, his finger into my chest. And, you know, maybe ladies, you'd say, well, you know, just tell them it's okay. I was... There is something, any guy in the room, you know what happens, you're like, I'm walking towards him, he's thumping even harder, and I'm like, oh no, I have church tonight, (laughs) right? I gotta figure out, like, what are you doing, what are you doing? See, inside of me are still these things that want to react, want to defend, wants to be prideful, so I step back, and I'm like, oh God, transform me. Like I I I need you because this isn't going to help anything. But I know there's something fleshy in me. There's something selfish in me which wants to defend myself. Step back, realize, Okay, okay. God's transform me. I can I can clear my throat and go, sir. Instead of breaking your finger right now, we're going to have a conversation. Right. I need that transformation. So one of the things he's drawing me towards is renewal, transformation. I'll look more like Jesus year by year. The accumulation of all this with God orchestrating it is I am a changed human being. There's nobody in the room who's married who doesn't want their spouse to be changed. There's no teenager who doesn't want their parents to be changed. There's no parent who doesn't want their teenagers to be changed. That's what God promises I'll work in you to change you. Here's here's a second element of this destiny. Be justified. Those he called, he also justified. Justified means to be declared innocent. To be declared innocent. It's a legal word used in the first century. That at the end of a trial where the defense and the prosecution present their case, the judge would take the gavel in his or her hand and slam it down and pronounce, this person is declared innocent, justified. There's one day when I'm going to take my last breath, you're going to take your last breath as a biological entity, And I'm gonna stand before the judge and creator of the universe. And if I am loving God, submitted to his will, he'll take all these things and he moves me to this place where when the judge looks at me, he doesn't look at the accumulation of the painful, the self-destruction, the good things I did. He just looks at this fact that I live my life in Jesus, that Jesus covers me. And he's gonna say, innocent. Heaven holds nothing against her, against him. And the third element of our destiny is this. The writer of Romans says we'll also be glorified. To be glorified means to be lifted up. So I'm conformed, um, I'm glorified, I'm justified. To be lifted up. Some of us have had a little bit more of this than others. Pain, difficulty feel a little bit broken don't we and here's the bad news even for those of us who life has been fairly easy <laughs> you're more broken than you know a <laughs> part of this is god uses these things. He doesn't cause them. He doesn't want them. But he hasn't abandoned us and he's involved in it. and He's going to use it to lift us up. To make us not just transform people but different people. This word glorified is the word that, that was used for Jesus. That he was lifted up. That God wants to lift us up to being fully human. Alive once again. Eliminating the disharmony within our lives. Bringing us back to this harmonious place with God. With human beings. With the created world to lift us up so maybe i can give you just a couple of biblical illustrations how see how this works because I, i say every challenge in life let's use this phrase has redemptive value every big thing every beautiful every painful thing has redemptive value book of genesis man named joseph latter half of the book of Genesis contains the biography of his life. Joseph is born to one of the Hebrew patriarchs. So you think, well, that's a pretty good start. I mean, born to the people of God. He's talked to about God. He understands God. So it's a great start. However, there's more family dysfunction than you and I might realize as we read this story. Because we are told that his father favored him. Joseph was his favorite son. Now, that doesn't work very well, does it? Anybody who grew up in a home, maybe you were all biologically your parents, or it was a blended family. If there's a favorite, that's just not a good scenario, is it, whatsoever? So we've got this family dysfunction. And then Joseph, he makes his own bad decisions. He has a dream, has to do with his destiny. Has to do that. God says, One day, one day, I'm gonna give you a place of influence, hold on to that. But because he's prideful, he steps up and he goes to his 11 brothers and he goes, Hey guys, imagine this as a teenage boy. I had a dream and in it, you all bowed down and worshiped me. You guys in? Sound good? His own dysfunction, his own pride. He has free will. He makes a bad declaration. That was for him and him alone. So what happens? Oh, it starts to compound. So guess what those brothers do? They decide, hey, Joseph, we're going to go for a walk in the desert, and we'd like you to come with us. Bring that fancy coat that Dad gave you, would you? So Joseph is like, my brothers want to spend time with me for the first time ever. They beat him. Physical abuse. Crimes committed against him. They throw him into a well. And while they're contemplating whether or not to murder him, they see a slave trader coming by on their way to Egypt. And they sell their brother into a lifetime of slavery. Once he gets to Egypt, he becomes a slave in Potiphar's house for years. Because he's so able, because he's wise, he's given command of the home. He's still a slave. Or he can do whatever he wants until he's accused of a crime that he did not commit. He actually does what's right. He says no to a woman that approaches him. And because she's resentful and she feels rejected, she accuses him of attempted rape. Now he's going to go to prison. And it looks like for about 10 years, he's going to be in this prison. we in a dark prison. And in this prison, he's forgotten about. But still, in this prison, he, he, he's so administratively gifted. He's so wise that eventually he helps lead the prison, even as a prisoner. I think of the dysfunction. Think of, I mean, this is when he, he's about 38 years old. So it's been somewhere around 20 years now that he has either been a slave or a prisoner. How many nights did he lay awake and say, God, why me? How in the world is this happening to me? I've tried to do the right things. However, however, through it all, he loves God. He doesn't always understand God, but he loves God. Through it all, he says, I'm still submitted to your purpose for my life. So we get to about 38 years old. He has another supernatural dream. Pharaoh realizes this is an exceptional person. Puts him in command of Egypt. He's the second most powerful man in the entire nation. And because of, here's here's where it gets beautiful. Because of all the administrative skills he learned in prison and as a slave, he is able to administrate the empire of Egypt as they face a seven-year famine he understands what needs to happen so they take portions of the grain aside during multiple years and eventually, eventually his own 11 brothers come to Egypt because they are going to starve to death unless they can find food somewhere else and as they show up in Genesis 50 verse 20 they show up and they finally realize that it's Joseph And God has taken all of these events and he didn't cause them and he didn't want them, but he worked. He worked his redemptive purposes in the life of Joseph to prepare him for this. And in Genesis 50, 20, Joseph looks at his brothers. He could have had them executed like that. He's the second most powerful man in the most powerful group of people in the entire world. But he looks at his brothers and he says, What you intended for evil, God intended for good. What you intended for evil, you meant to mistreat me. You meant to sell me into slavery. You meant to eliminate me. But God, he intended it for good. You sold me, but God sent me. See, it's the perspective of someone who has loved God, been called according to his purposes, who's been confused by what's happening, and yet he gets to this place. That's what we're talking about. What's going on in your life? What's going on in my life? It's confusing. I don't understand. And yet, God works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. we pray with me? Father, in a room like this, there are lots of things happening in our lives. For some, it's a wonderful time. For many of us, it's a painful time. Even as we reflect back on our lives and Some of us right now, we're just filled with deep regret because we had free will, and we made self-destructive choices. It just seems like they're accumulated. There's piles of them, and we wish we could take them back. We can't, we can't, but if we love you, if we submit to your purpose for our life, here's what you can do. You can even use those dark things from our past, to move us towards a new destination. Some of us are filled with regret because we exerted our will and we violated something or someone. Oh, we wish we could take it back. We can't. But here's a God who is redemptive even in those things. He will teach us, we'll help someone else. He'll move us towards being justified, being conformed, being lifted up. God, we don't know how to love you when times get hard. Sometimes it's more natural to blame you. But would you teach us to love you when we don't understand you? To love you when we're disappointed in you? And would you teach us how to be submitted to your purposes and your agenda? We always have our own ways, we always have our own agendas but we choose to submit to that and we trust that then you work all things towards something good, the grand orchestrator of life. I want to give one final invitation here. Maybe you're here and your life seems like the accumulation of chaotic events, positive, negative things you've done, things that have been done to you, things that just happen, you're like, I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. Listen, he, here's the reason. Those things just happen. But in order to be moving towards something new, this, this is it. You have to figure out, do you love God? Not just do you believe God, not does he exist, but do you love him? Meaning he's your highest priority. And are you submitted to his agenda for your life? Because if you are, then God can work through everything that's happening, everything that will happen in the future, and move you towards something else. if it's your decision, if today's the day where you get to exercise your free will and say, I choose to love God first. I choose to submit to him. I need the grand orchestrator of life moving me in a new direction. I surrender my life to him. If that's you, you need to do that. I'm asking you something very bold. I want you to raise your hand, wave at me, make eye contact with me. and Say, today I need Jesus. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You're brand new. Yes, right there. You're brand new. You're remade. Yes, sir. It's a brand new start for you. You're forgiven, made clean. Here. Yeah, I see your hand. It's a new start for you. Yes, right back there and right there as well. You're remade. Yes, sir. You're forgiven. Over here. Yeah, absolutely, sir. You're his, your son. Over here, okay. Yeah, both of you, right there. Brand new day for you. In the balcony, if that's you. Okay, right there, I see your hand. Over here as well, yes. Over here, okay, right there, yeah, in the very back. Beautiful, beautiful. Anybody else, if that's you, just wave at me. Okay, right back here, yeah, yeah. All right. For everybody who raised, okay, right there as well. Thanks for being persistent. Everybody raise their hand. I want you to know this. All the angels in heaven are celebrating right now because you have been remade. Now, spend a lifetime loving him, surrendering to him. Everybody, would you just applaud for those who raise their hands? This is a huge, courageous decision. Yeah beautiful. If you did raise your hand on your way out the door, I want you to go to the Welcome Center. I want you to do a couple things. One, get a Bible. We have them for free. Get in a rooted group. Find out about getting baptized. Everybody else, I hope that your week is filled with circles. But if it is not, it's going to be okay because you've got somebody who's working towards the good when you love him and are called according to his purposes. Have a great week. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. If you need prayer about anything, there's people up front that you can trust.